Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Good evening, children of the night. Sometimes I talk about movies and sometimes I talk about books. But this evening, I'd like to talk about comics. Or is it graphic novels? I'm never quite sure where the line between the two, or if there is a line at all. Someone brought to my attention a new one from Black Mask Studios called Come Into Me, a title that is probably going to be a tough sell in the friendly neighborhood comic store. It was explained to me that it is body horror, and I should check it out. 
On the search for the issue, I came across another series, currently only with four issues, that will be bound into a single volume which will be available in a couple of months. The name of that series is The Dregs. Written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, art by Eric Zawadzki, and colorist D. Cunafy. It's a story of madness, addiction, and cannibalism on the main streets of Vancouver. The art style that doesn't carry the same level of polish as what I've seen from Marvel or DC Comics, but that's a good thing. It really does add to the madness experienced by the protagonist and the disorientation that leads the reader into. The issues are scattered with little quotes from Jonathan Swift, Albert Camus, Oscar Wilde, Miguel de Vervantes, and finally, Raymond Chandler. The Dregs is worth a read, if you happen upon it. I did eventually find a copy of the first edition of Come Into Me, and I'm quite interested to see where it goes. The intersection of horror and near-future science fiction is typically of immediate interest for me. Keep your eyes open for that one as well. Let's listen to a bit of fiction, hmm? Pete Kemshaw is a writer and editor living in Perth, Western Australia, where the story is set. His work has been published in Australia, the UK, and the US, and ranges from crime and horror to licensed fiction for properties such as Doctor Who. He has been shortlisted for a number of Australian genre prizes, including the Ditmar, Aurealis, and Australian Shadows Awards, and alternates between working on his own novel and editing them for other people. Listen with me to Pete Kempshaw's Azimuth, originally published in 2015's Bloodlines from Ticonderoga Publications. Shouldn't it be more... What? Mystic? Blum chuckled? A wet sound that rose from his chest and bubbled in his throat. Say abracadabra if it makes you feel better. Actually, don't. Too easy to guess. My face flushed. What does it even mean? How the devil should I know? That's the point, my boy. He paused. Look, the word itself is insignificant. It's like a password. A key code. A security code. It has to be something you can remember but that no one else can guess or use by mistake. You don't want someone else setting them free before the job's done, do you? I suppose not. You suppose right. Try it. What? The word. Try it for size. I stared at him, and he held my look, one eyebrow raised expectantly. All right. I took a breath and said it. Forbes takes the envelope and tucks it into the pocket of his long white coat. We've been at these little acts of midnight commerce for long enough now that he doesn't feel the need to check the contents. I've got nothing to gain from cheating him, and he's got too much to lose from cheating me. That's the climate in which our transactions take place if not in a spirit of trust, then in an open acknowledgement of our needs. So who are you here for? he asks, turning smartly on his heel and leading the way to the refrigerated area. Lucy Turnbull. Oh, her. 
He pushes open a set of double doors and strides into the chill beyond, leaving the rubberized portals to swing back in my face. I put up my hand to stop them and slip through the gap after him. Mutilation, decapitation, good choice, one for the connoisseur. Thought you'd have been in for her sooner, actually, he chortles. My fists bunch. I've just been busy, and I knew you'd hold onto a sample for me. Forbes's grunt blossoms white in the freezing air. Nothing to do with me. The room is lined on both sides with small drawers, no bigger than post office drawers. If your old mates were any good at their jobs, she'd be long gone by now. He smiles so widely, I think the top of his head might fall off. Lucky for you, they couldn't detect a fart in a shoebox. He sucks his teeth in a way that makes me want to kick them out. Once, I'd have felt bad about thinking that. But I spend more than enough time staring at the ceiling, feeling bad as it is. He locates the right drawer with unerring efficiency. There are hundreds of the small, chiller units. Thousands, perhaps. And none of them are identified by name. For all that, he's a money-grubbing opportunist with zero professional ethics. I feel a grudging admiration for the way he can identify an individual case from its serial number alone. Everyone has to have one talent, right? He pops open the door and extracts the test tube. I've not got any slides made up, he says. Give me a couple of minutes and I'll fix you one. No problem. You know, I've been meaning to ask you for a while. He pauses. You know, if that's... It's fine. Go for it. He indicates the small glass vial with its red-black contents. The slides. What exactly do you do with them? Do you, like, pour some wine and get them out and look at them or something? Like Dexter? I hesitate. The prevailing opinion after I left the force, after Alicia Connor, was that I'd turned in my sanity with my badge. If I tell Forbes the truth, I'd be in a padded cell so fast my feet won't touch. So I shrug. Or something. It's a kind of hell to be trapped in a hot metal box with nothing but your guilt and a handgun. One mistake was all it had taken to put me there. One transposed number. The difference between admissible and inadmissible. Between leaving the courtroom with justice done and sitting in my car outside Trevor Ramsey's house, staring at the Glock in my lap and agonizing over who I'd be best served to fire it at, him or me, or him, then me. The force had dropped me like a shit-covered donut. Medical leave, they called it. A valid enough concern at my balance of mind. But everyone knew to read between the lines. It was my fault Ramsay had walked. And that meant it was my fault Alicia Connor was dead. The day after had topped forty degrees, and the night brought no relief, not even a breath of wind, through my rolled-down windows. But the heat was keeping people indoors, and in the four hours I had sat there, waiting for Ramsay to get home and wondering just what I'd do when he did, I'd seen no one. I almost didn't notice him. It was only when the screech of the fly-wire door snapped me from my inner blackness that I was able to focus and spot Ramsay's silhouette 
entering the house. I waited a few minutes, then popped the door and stepped into the street. I don't remember walking to the front porch. One instant, I was in the road. The next, I was on the deck, in the bilious yellow light from Ramsey's window, peering in. He sat in front of the TV, one of those trays on his lap, the ones that have the cushion built into the base to make them more stable while you eat. He forked pasta into his face from a bowl, occasionally supplementing his mouthful with a swig from a moisture-marbled can of lager. Just like any single thirty-something, chilling after work. Normality incarnate. I raised the gun and aimed through the glass. I'd spent more than a decade as a cop, and in all that time I'd rarely had cause to draw my weapon. But on the occasions that I had, it had never felt so heavy, never shaken so much in my grip as it did then. If I had pulled the trigger, the shot could have gone anywhere, could have taken Ramsay in the side of the head, or just as easily blown out the light bulb above it. I lowered my arm and turned back towards the street. I'd only be needing one bullet after all. Now and again, I feel like a fraud. This kind of gig, you need the silver salvers, the golden chalices carved with arcane symbols, right? Sitting at my kitchen table, scrawling on the paper plate with a sharpie, it's hardly Dr. Strange. You're not doing this for show, Blum had explained when he'd shown me the ropes. No one's going to be watching. There's going to be no one to impress. What counts is the intent, not the materials. Get your mind right, and you could pull this thing off, scrawling with mud in a hubcap. I'd settled on picnic wear, because it was cheap. My deal with Forbes eats up most of my cash. Custom-made magic crockery doesn't enter into it. The runes take me a little under five minutes. When I was starting out, it was closer to fifteen, assuming I didn't stuff up and have to start again. Don't get me wrong, I am very careful. I took my lessons seriously. If there's one thing Blum stressed, it was that the slightest slip, the smallest variance of line, and I could summon, well, something a whole lot nastier than what I was aiming for. They're out there, he told me, waiting for an opening. That's why you shouldn't rush, my boy. They're patient. So must you be. I inscribed the last line, then reached for the envelope Forbes gave me. I've known Forbes for a while, from back when I was in and out of his lab in an official capacity. When I renewed our acquaintance as a private citizen, I told him I was a collector of murder memorabilia. Something his thinly veined desire to supplement his income made him all too ready to believe. Seriously, I thought I'd have to work harder to get him to buy into the arrangement. He practically tore my arm off. Accordingly, he'd cocooned the slide and bubble wrap. No one wants their prize exhibit broken before they get it home. I unwrapped the small glass rectangle and snap it, dislodging the cover slip and exposing the dry blood beneath. Once I've placed the fragments on the plate, in the centre of the inked symbols, I pick up the knife. You'd think, after all I've seen, that I wouldn't be quite so squeamish. But it's different when it's your own blood. I screw up my courage and nick my thumb, wincing at the brief, sharp pain, 
holding the wound over the plate, I allow three fat drops to splatter onto it. Then, sticking my thumb in my mouth, I suck like a sulky toddler. It never stops the bleeding, but it's something I've always done, from that first time under Blum's tutelage to today. Part of the ritual now. My signature move. I pick up the plate and lay it in the sink before dousing the whole paraphernalia in lighter fluid and reaching for the matchbox. I get a flame first strike and drop it on the plate. There's a hollow woof, and the flames leap up at me. Feeling the heat on my face, I close my eyes and think of the word. Despite the fire, a chill ripples through me, the hairs rising on my arms. Where am I? I open my eyes, turn towards the voice, and begin to explain. Maybe I should have kept walking, returned to the car, and finished it. I didn't. From the house came a clatter, hollow and metallic. A beer can dropped on the floor. I don't know why that made me turn round and, and look. Not like it's an uncommon sound. Ramsay sat, just as he'd been when I'd turned away, except now he wasn't staring at the TV. It was like he was staring through it. And he was shaking. Hard. He still had his fork in his hand, loaded with pasta, but raised no higher than halfway from the bowl. As the tremors racked him, strands of spaghetti dislodged and fell, missing the bowl, and plopping instead onto the tray on his legs, down his T-shirt. With a stiff motion, he flicked his wrist, dislodging from the utensil all that remained of the food. Then, with infinite painful slowness, he raised the fork to his eye and started to push. I tried to look away as he eased the tines into himself. God knows, I tried. All I can think of now is that the same desire in me to see him pay for his crimes ensured I bore witness. Why didn't he scream? Ramsay continued to push. Thick fluids trickled down his cheek now, off his chin, and all the while he made no sound. Then, meeting some final resistance, he stopped and lowered his hand. The fork stayed where it was. What happened next? You remember that fad for subliminal messages on TV, right? The way film editors would sometimes splice a random frame into a show, an image that had nothing to do with what you were watching, and that passed by so swiftly you only registered it subconsciously. For one fleeting moment, one frame, it seemed to me that Ramsay wasn't alone, that standing by his side, leaning down as if whispering in his ear, was a young woman. Then in a blink she was gone, and Ramsay bent at the waist and head-butted the arm of his chair. I staggered, my breathing fast and ragged, legs too weak to support me. I'd have collapsed, been found there by the police in shock, a few feet from the body of the killer I'd failed to send to jail if a hand hadn't tugged at my arm. We need to get out of here. It was only when we were in my car, him driving, me in the passenger seat, elevated, that I took the time to really see him. 
He had to be sixty, hunched over the wheel like Barry Humphreys in an Einstein fright wig, whereas I was still numb. There was an air of excitement about the man, crackling from him like he'd been plugged into the mains. I concentrated on my words. Who are Blum, he said, chopping me off mid-question. Daniel Blum. No need to introduce yourself. I know who you are. Aaron. Know why you were there, too. I gaped at him, my mind unable to keep pace with what I'd seen, with what was happening now. You couldn't go through with it, I noticed, Blum said, turning into the bend ahead. Good. No need, anyway. I had it all under control. Well, not me exactly, but you know what I mean. No, no, I... You saw her, didn't you? I saw... Who? Who did you see? I can't have. Who did you see? Alicia. Alicia Connor. If he hadn't been steering, I swore he would have clapped his hands together with joy. Instead, he stiffened abruptly, struck by a thought. Oh, my word, I nearly forgot. He closed his eyes, as if he was standing stock still in an empty room, rather than flouting the speed limit on a residential street. And in a voice so soft, it was almost lost to the noise of the engine, he said, Azimuth. The sight of her face is unsettling. Sure, I've seen it on the news, in the school photo that accompanied all the reports from the first trickles of concern that she'd gone missing to the horror and outrage when she was found. The parts that were found. But to look at her now. There's nothing left of the wide-eyed innocence in that photograph. Agreed, her face is the same, but there's something in the eyes. Something deeper. Older. Then again, being dead for a week is going to change you. I spend a short while dancing around the main point, so as not to freak her out. Number one, you're dead. Number two, I brought you back. Number three, it's not permanent. But she doesn't freak out. Not even close. I brought back kids before. They all want their mums, their dads, their teddy bears, for God's sake. But Lucy here, not a flicker. It unsettles me, so I cut to the chase. Do you remember who did this to you? She looks at me with those cold eyes. Oh, yes. Can you take me to him? She doesn't answer. She just turns and heads for the door. You brought her back. I did. How? Sitting in the squint-bright light of the burger bar, drinking abysmal coffee at two in the morning, none of it seemed real enough to properly disturb me. That came later. Blum whiffled his fingers in front of his face. Magic. You don't believe me, he said, without missing a beat. I saw her, but... You're pleased, aren't you? I'm sorry? With the way it turned out. Blum tore open another sachet of sweetener and tipped the contents into his polystyrene cup. As he stirred, I realized this was the fourth or fifth packet he'd used. But I'd yet to see him drink. 
I wondered if that made him smarter than he looked, using the coffee as a prop, a distraction rather than a beverage. He certainly made no attempt to taste it. You went there to kill Ramsay, and you couldn't. Now he's dead, and you've got to keep your hands clean. He reached for another sachet. You're welcome, by the way. You do this? A lot? Yes. I bring back the souls of the wronged to exact justice on those who wronged them. I can't say it pays the bills, but the job satisfaction is top draw. How long? Oh, decades, my dear boy. Hundreds of times. I'm something of an unsung hero. So why show yourself now? Plum removed the plastic stirrer from his cup, stared into the swirling vortex of brown liquid, and he told me. We passed the house, a two-story new build, in a sprawl north of Jundalup, and park in the shadows around the corner. I look across at Lucy, but she's already out of the car. No need to open the door. It's a strange feeling, playing chauffeur to the dead. Your logic rebels against it. They're ghosts. Can't they just appear where they need to be? They're tied to your soul until you release them, Blum had explained when I voiced my surprise for the first time. It's like, like a piece of elastic. It can only stretch so far before they snap back. They'll be able to feel, sense whoever killed them, no matter who they are or how far away. But the onus of transportation, that's part of our service. So they can't find their own way. Blum had chuckled. Not unless you cut the elastic, my boy. You've got to remember, your blood, mixed with theirs, binds irrevocably. You say the word to perform the summoning, and until you say the word again, you're stuck with them. And vice versa. Of course, that makes it difficult. It means I have to attend the scene while a returnee fulfills its mission. But Blum had an answer for that, too. Keeps you honest, my boy. If you have to watch it happen every time... You never get blasé about it. I step out of the car and walk the short distance back and around the corner. Lucy is waiting by the garden path. There's no one around. But even if there were, the most anyone would see of her was that same subliminal flash I saw years ago at Ramsay's house. Your average passerby wouldn't even see that. Lucy turns in silence and drifts up the path. There's still something about her that doesn't jibe. Not all spirits are chatty when you bring them back, although a lot are. Some of them you end up wishing you could kill all over again just to shut them up. But there's an oppressive feeling about Lucy's quietness, a brooding quality that belies her age. It weighs on my mind as I stop at the mailbox and peer inside. There's a single letter, uncollected, addressed to Josh Hathaway. Names, Blum told me, are also part of the accountability incumbent on us. They ensure we don't become too detached, that our souls don't callous over. For me, there's more to it. Spirits have no substance. They can't act directly against their killers. Physically, they can't harm anyone. So they coerce, they persuade, like Alicia did to Ramsay. The flip side is that after a certain point, they don't need me. So long as I'm close enough for the elastic not to snap back, I can leave them to it. Not like they need me to knock on the door for them, but I want to see. 
I need to see. I need to be able to go to bed at night, close my eyes, and know justice has been done, and not think of when it wasn't. So no, I don't need to knock, but I do anyway. Why me? I asked. It was one of those summer days when King's Park seems to have more people than blades of grass, from dating couples to families, all out in force to enjoy the sunshine. By comparison, we made a strange pair, me in my T-shirt and shorts, Blum in the kind of padded anorak more common to a British winter than the height of the Perth heat. Nothing seemed to touch him, though. Not heat, nor cold, like he was somehow above it all. He struck off up the slope towards the DNA tower and said nothing until we were halfway up the grassy rise. When he did speak, his voice was quiet, serious. You still feel it, don't you, Adrian? Aaron, feel what? Why do you want to do this? Why do you want me to teach you? Because you asked me to. No, why do you want to learn? What do you want to get out of it? Justice, I said without hesitation. I don't believe you. I stopped dead, and he walked on a pace or two, before realising and turned back. Justice is a byproduct, my boy, he said. You don't want justice. You want the same thing I wanted when I started. He waited for me to say something, and when I didn't, added, when I brought my son back. I couldn't hold his gaze then. My eyes drifted to the twisted white double helix of the tower dominating the hilltop ahead. I could make out the figures of the people climbing its myriad steps, those who reached the top and stood pointing and gawking, and it felt like they were pointing and gawking at me, as if they knew, just like Blum knew. You've been letting it fester, he went on. The trick is to make it work for you, to use it to do some good. The kind of magic I practice, the kind you'll practice, is all about will. What you're carrying around with you it can make you stronger, and it can make you more willing to pay the price. Price? What do you think it is that's killing me? I hesitated. From the moment back in that fast food joint that he'd told me he was dying, that he wanted me to fill his shoes, the subject had been studiously avoided. I assumed cancer. Blum's smile was thin. Tell me, have you ever been so foolish as to lick a frozen metal pole? The change of direction was so absurd, my laugh escaped before I could stop it. In Perth? Blum shrugged. But you are aware of what happens if you do. Your tongue sticks to the pole, and if you try to pull it away, you lose a layer of skin. It's the same thing here. Blood magic is an intensely personal endeavour. Your blood is entirely unique, an utterly individual physical and cosmic marker. When you use it to bring back a spirit, in order to stay on your plane, the spirit bonds to your very soul until you release it. Okay, and when you do release it, it's like your soul is a tongue and the spirit the pole. You tear. You lose part of your soul. Irretrievably. I've cast this spell oh, so many times, and every time I've done it, another piece of me has been lost. I'm not dying from cancer, Aaron. I'm dying from having my immortal self torn to pieces. Who the fuck are you? The man opens the door. Hathaway, I presume, is in his mid-forties, short hair, greying into salt-and-pepper tone, 
more pronounced on the sideburns valancing his face. He's a couple of inches shorter than me, but radiates belligerence. What do you want? Before he can finish, the air beside me shifts, a physical sensation that tickles every inch of my exposed skin. The eyes of the man in the doorway widen in shock, and then something strange happens. Now I've done this dozens of times. I've seen it all. Some have screamed, some have fainted dead away, most run. Hathaway. Hathaway is furious. What the fuck have you done? He asks, like I've not been paying attention. Put diesel in an unleaded engine instead of conjuring up the spirit of a girl he put in the ground. In answer, Lucy's shade lunges, howling, fingers extended, ready to gouge, claw, scratch. She hits something, something I can't even see. It reminds me of a bird that has failed to spot there's a window in its flight path, smacking into the glass and dropping dazed to the ground. Hathaway points to the floor. A chalk line delineates the boundary of inside the house and out. Sigils of the same kind I use on my paper plates run parallel to it. He sneers, not my first rodeo, fucker. It's as if my brain has switched down a gear or two. I'll get there in the end, but I can't maintain the speed needed to keep up. Lucy turns from the doorway, howling like she's been dragged through the gates of hell itself. She flickers, vanishes. Try all you like, Hathaway shouts, the empty air. The whole place is sealed. He looks at me again, fury in his eyes. You fucking amateur. Do you have any fucking idea who you brought back? What you brought back? You killed her, I say, and step towards him. My fists are clenched. I'm going to flatten the bastard. She was already dead, you idiot. It killed her the second it abducted her. What do you... What the hell do you mean, it? Dortha Mus, he says, and his voice softens, the edge disappearing, like he understands suddenly that... I don't understand. The air shifts again, and Lucy strikes. She roars like a gale, rushing through the doorway where before she's been barred. The force of her takes Hathaway in the chest, and he barrels over backwards, landing heavily. The thought screams into my head. How did she knock him down? Hathaway pushes himself up on his elbows, but she's on him like a shot. Like smoke pluming down a chimney, she pours into his nose steadily at first, then picking up pace until the very last wisps of her are gone. I have just enough time to cover my face before his head explodes. When I look again, she's standing there, pristine against the gore-stippled walls and floor. The smile on her face is no longer cold. It's hungry. Thank you, she says. Her eyes flit to the floor in front of me. I look down. The thin white line between inside and out has a gap in it, smeared vague on the wooden boards. I lift up my foot, check the bottom of my shoe. Chalk dust. Time for your reward, Lucy says. Hold still. I feel the building pressure inside my head, fight to focus, and the world pops free like a cork from a bottle. Azimuth. The expression on the dead girl's face changes. She quivers in equal parts rage and frustration. Soon, she says, and she's gone. But by that point, I'm already running. I dialed with a shaking hand, the dream of Alicia hanging around me, miasmic. 
Do you have any idea of the time, dear boy? I'll do it, I said. You sure? I can't. I have to do something. But you understand the sacrifice? Yes, yes, I understand. Please, teach me. On the other end of the line, he sighed. I couldn't tell if it was satisfaction or resignation. We'll begin in the morning. There's much to cover, and I don't think I have a great deal of time. I can manage on the basics, can't I? Well, yes, but this is not a world for the ignorant, my boy. Not if... Blum, I said. If you stop now, right now, and let me take over, will it... Save me? Even without seeing him, I knew he was shaking his head. Too much of me is already gone. I might not die, not properly. My personality, my presence, it'll be... It'll be like being dead. I thought of him in the park, how the heat didn't seem to affect him, how he got my name wrong, how he forgot how many sugars he'd put in his coffee. That's why we can't waste time. My memory. Tears welled in my eyes. You already said that. Silence down the line. Then he burst out laughing. You're a bad boy, a very bad boy. Just for that, we start early. Be here at six. The drive home is a nightmare. I'm shaking so hard, it feels like my bones will break. Every time I look in the rear view, I expect to see her, sitting there. It should be a baseless fear. The rules are that once the shade has completed its unfinished business and it's released by its summoner, it returns to the afterlife. If it didn't, we'd be hip-deep in ghosts. Lucy's business is finished. I dismissed her. She should be gone, but... There's that single word, resounding inside my head, a promise, a threat, I'm utterly unequipped to face. Soon, whatever happened to Lucy's shade, I know beyond even the smallest doubt, she's still out there. By the time I get home, I've calmed down enough to piece some of it together. I head straight to the back room and prise up the floorboards, Retrieve the books Blum left me, and set to work filling in the gaps. A nervous couple of hours later, I think I've got the facts. There's no point questioning if Hathaway was right. I've seen the evidence with my own eyes. Lucy Turnbull was possessed. One of the things Blum warned me about. A patient entity must have found some way through to our world, and taken her body as its vehicle. The more I read, the more it becomes clear to me. Lucy's murder had attracted me because of its brutality. Whoever could flay the skin off a thirteen-year-old girl's chest, decapitate her, and keep the head, that was exactly the kind of sick fucker deserving my attention. Without the facts, I blundered in, made a mistake, and... I think of Alicia Connor, and ice crystallizes around my heart. Knowing that Hathaway wasn't a thrill-kill, the details of the mutilation take on new significance. He wasn't taking a trophy when he removed Lucy's skin, her head. He was concealing what he was up to. It takes me a while to find what I'm looking for, a binding rune. Hathaway would have had to carve it into Lucy to keep the demon trapped inside her, while he... I imagine if someone digs up Hathaway's garden, they'll find Lucy's skull. 
brutal, savage even, but according to the books Blom lent me, it's the only way to be sure. By all rights, the entity should have been lost in limbo for centuries. Except I summoned Lucy back, when she wasn't really Lucy any more. I gave it a lifeline. I find the rune Hathaway must have used easily enough. It's right there in the books. Each word is tailored to a particular demon, and Hathaway was good enough to give me a name before he died. Dorthamus. Flicking through the pages, I read up on it. Lord of Deceit, apparently. But what really floats its boat is inflicting pain. Apparently is very good at it. Even better, given a physical form to work from. Hathaway must have known the swathe of destruction the thing would leave, even in a little girl's body. And then I understand, soon. I feel a surge of panic, a desperate, futile wish that Blum was still here to tell me what to do. Because it's all clear to me now. I know what's coming. Dorthamus isn't coming to kill me. It's coming to take me. It needs a new host, and thanks to my blood magic, our essences are already linked. Dorthamus has a foot in the door. All it has to do is push. Standard magical protection will be completely useless. The easiest possession ever. I'm low-hanging fruit, and unless I can think of something to do about it, I'm plucked. It takes me most of the night to prepare. When I finally get home and seal the entrances with chalk lines, I'm tired, stinking and hurting. I switch on the TV, allowing the sights and sounds to wash over me. The news cycles already have the story, the main stations latching onto it with grim alacrity. The feeling of intoxication I experience is only partly due to the scotch, which I hit like a speeding train the moment I sit down. The smell of the booze scarcely masks the other pungent smell that hangs around me no matter how often I wash my hands. I sweep from the bottle rather than sip. I've been half drunk for most of the evening anyway. I needed the whiskey to counteract my usual squeamishness. By now, there's only the occasional dull throb to suggest I'm any different physically. Just so long as I don't look down, I can ignore it. It can't be long now. Dorthamus and I are joined. I can feel it coming. I take another belt from the bottle and focus again on the screen. I jerk awake. The room has grown cold, bitterly so, and I shudder. I know that outside the night is still humid, sweltering. The change is local to this room. It's starting. The TV flickers, burp static, and the picture resolves itself into the rolling news coverage again. Hello, Aaron. She, it, stands in the kitchen doorway, arms hanging loose at her sides. Ready to go? I get to my feet, wobbling from the booze and the sudden flare of pain in my chest. The chalk lines didn't work then. They're only any good if I'm not invited in. And I own part of our soul, Aaron. It's like... An access all areas pass. How about if I ask you to fuck off? Lucy shivers with delight. Ooh, she says, you're adorable. I could just eat you up. She flies at me, leering and triumphant, and I manage an instinctive step backwards before she hits me, hard like a shoulder charge from a footballer three times her size. 
I go down, flat on my back, and can only watch, dazed, as she ebbs and swirls into the same smoke that destroyed Hathaway. Then she's in me. My vision goes black. All I can hear is the ragged panting of my breath, until my eyes clear and she's standing next to me, puzzled, angry. What have you... I fumble with the buttons on my shirt. My fingers feel thick and unresponsive, but I get the fastenings undone and draw open the garment, like the curtains parting on opening night. The bandages across my torso are stained red, the wounds beneath stubbornly refusing to scab. It's the same one Hathaway carved into your chest to keep you in, I say, lurching to my feet. Figured it would keep you out, too. It won't be enough, she spits. I already have part of your soul. A lick of the lips. It tastes wonderful. Make the most of it. You want any more, you'll have to fight for it. Oh, your little rune might work, if I didn't have a foothold already. Now, it's just an inconvenience. She tilts her head, quizzical. You're really going to make me fight. You'd better believe it. I see. You realize that would cause you as much pain as me. You could give up. Spare yourself the grief. She laughs, a high melodic sound. I don't think so. I'm stronger than you in every regard, Aaron. I'll own you eventually. I'm just keen to get started. A moment's thought, and she says, I'll tell you what, how about I make you a deal? You've got nothing to offer me. Oh, but I do. We're joined by blood, Aaron. I know exactly what you want, what you need. The cold in the room seems to deepen. It never helped your mentor, you know. What the hell are you talking about? All the guilt you felt over his son. Oh, if only I'd taken him to school that day instead of making him walk. The whiny bastard carried that around until the day he died. All those victims he brought back to enact justice. All they did was tear up his soul. She shakes her head. You're the same. You're in denial. This isn't justice, Aaron. It's atonement. I watch her, as if frozen to the spot, unable to speak, thinking what Blum said that night we met, knowing that he lied. The job satisfaction is top draw. But you'll never really atone, Aaron, no matter how many times you cast your spell, no matter how many little bites of your soul you sacrifice to magic. It will never be enough. Because, for as long as you live, there'll be the nights when it comes to you in your sleep, and drags you awake and reminds you, Alicia Connor died because you were incompetent. Deny it all you like, punish yourself till your head spins. It'll keep eating at you. And you know the best thing. All that noble self-sacrifice, everything you've done since you met Blum, that's just made it worse. Hathaway was one of the good guys. I could never have got to him if you hadn't wiped out part of the chalk line. Plus, you brought me back. I'd still be banished to the outer void if not for your blood magic. But now I'm back, and I'll take your body, and I'll kill and kill and kill. And it's all your fault. Again. The rune in my chest burns with cold fire, seems to weigh tons. Crushing my heart, I choke on my words. She's right. So here's the deal. She sits down in my armchair, makes a show of wriggling around until she's comfortable, 
even though we know she can't feel anything. When I take your body, and I will take it, there's the problem of what to do with your soul. Now normally, I'd consume it, surround it, and absorb it, so that there's nothing left. That's what I offer you, eating my soul, if you like, or you could look on it as my granting you oblivion. I see then the deal. Let her in, and she'll destroy me utterly. Beyond any hope of existence in this world or any other. Unable to feel anything ever again. She's offering me absolute final peace. Or you can fight me. In that case, I'll keep you on. Just enough of your soul to feel. Enslaved inside your body as I drive it around. As I bathe in blood. And I'll make you watch, Aaron. All of it. You think you feel guilt now. Defy me, I'll give you guilt everlasting. She holds her hands out, palms open, a take-it-or-leave-it gesture. I'm shaking. She already knows my decision. How? How do I let you in? The rune, she shrugs. The rune's just a spell, Aaron. It's empowered by your will. All you have to do is will it to stop working. I take in a deep breath. All these years, all this hurt. It's over, isn't it? Let me in, Aaron. No more pain, I promise. I close my eyes and will away my protection. She rushes into me like an icy flood, and despite her promise, the pain is excruciating. Every cell of my body catches light, flares with bright, inescapable agony. Then it's done. There, I hear my voice say, or better. My body reaches for the bottle of scotch. It takes a long pull, and I imagine the burning sensation down my throat. Imagine it, because I can't feel it, because it's not my body anymore. You know the secret of good mystics, Dorthamus asks. Tell me. Research. Learning. Kudos to you on discovering the protection rune, but I can't help feel you drop the ball. I did. Well, if you'd done your homework properly, you'd have known what people call me. My voice trembles. It's laughter. The Lord of Deceit. I don't make deals, Aaron. I break them. Another swig of booze I can't taste. I think I will keep you around for a while. It might be nice to have some company. I thought you might. And you still took the deal... More atonement, isn't it? I've known some self-flagellating basket cases in my time, Aaron, but you're something else. <laughs> Have I got news for you? I'm all ears. No, really, check the TV. Why would I? It's on now. Watch. I feel Dorthamus switch its attention to the screen. A reporter is talking into camera. Behind her, a building in flames. Half a dozen high-pressure water jets are being directed at it by fire crews. But the blaze is out of control. So what, Dorthamus says. Deep in its being, I feel a twinge. Uncertainty. The building, you know what it is. Dorthamus scans the screen. Reading the scrolling bar of information along the bottom of the newsfeed. Storage facility. It's where they keep the evidence in cold cases. Biological material. Again, so what? 
You smell that? Dorthamus twitches my nose, notices, at last, the odour lurking under my scotch fumes, the one no amount of soap could shift from my hands. Petrol? The TV. Look harder. I sense his eyes, my eyes, examining the scene. You were right, you know. What? I'll never be able to atone for Alicia Connors, no matter how many little pieces of my soul I sacrifice. It's seen them now. The news camera pans across the scene and just for a second catches the spray paint on the ground beside the building. What's that? There's an edge to my voice now. But what if I could save hundreds of lives by stopping you? Wouldn't that balance the books? Was that a sigil? What if instead of giving up hundreds of little pieces of my soul, I make one lump payment? What have you done? Blood samples, Dorthamus. That building's full of them. Hundreds, thousands, mine too, all burning together. All those souls joined to mine, joined to yours too now, until I let them go. But that'll tear us both too. Yes, yes it will. I feel it try to disengage from me, flee my body, but I've refocused my will on the rune in my chest. The door's locked. Too late, Dorthamus. And I say the word. That was Pete Kemshaw's Azimuth, as read by Ron John. Ron John has written and published children's books, scripts, and screenplays for animation and live action, musical lyrics, and libretti. He is a student of strange phenomena and parapsychology, horror, and children's literature. You can see Ron John's videos and hear more of his work on the Spectre Collector blog. That's thespectrecollector.blogspot.com.au. You can download his albums on the Spectre Collector Bandcamp site. That's the spectrecollector.bandcamp.com. And also check out Ron John's Hymns to the Cannibal Blood Cult, the Fungus Sanguinarius at the Fruits of Madness blog, the Fruits of Madness.blogspot.com.au. And of course, links to all of those will be in the show notes. Thank you, Ron John. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show was produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Lightsey and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Yeah.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.